Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the senior pastor of Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. The sermon you're about to listen to is called Wait For It. It was part of our worship for April 11th, 2021, and is based on Luke 24, verses 13 to 35, which is the narrative lectionary reading for the second Sunday of the Easter season. I do apologize for getting this podcast up a little bit late, but we hope that you'll enjoy listening to it nevertheless. We are so grateful to Reverend Robbie Jones Miller for her willingness to step into the pulpit for us the week after Easter so that my family and I could take a much-needed break. Robbie, we're so thankful for your words of wisdom, encouragement, and challenge. For those of you all listening in, we're so glad you are. You can find out more about our congregation at www.williamsburgbaptist.com. Thanks so much for listening in. Enjoy. In his book, All the Places You'll Go, Dr. Seuss talks about the waiting place. He says, You can get so confused that you'll start in to race down long wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space, headed, I fear, toward a most useless place, the waiting place, or people just waiting. Waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite or waiting for wind to fly a kite or waiting around for Friday night or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. In today's society of instant gratification, Waiting is not something that we like to do, and often it is not easy for us. According to a Timex survey, Americans spend at least six months of their lives waiting in line for things, three days a year of waiting. The average person spends about 43 days on hold with automated customer service. According to this survey, we spend 23 days a year on our phones, nine years of the average person's life waiting. While we wait, while what we wait for may be a bit different than Dr. Seuss's list, our lives do revolve around waiting. It goes without saying that right now we are waiting for this pandemic to end. From the day we are born to the major milestones of our lives, we are always waiting for what's next and what might need to be done waiting. But is Dr. Seuss correct? Is the waiting place a most useless place? Those of you worshiping here at Williamsburg Baptist have been journeying with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke since the announcement of Jesus's birth on the fourth Sunday in Advent. You've been waiting for Easter. For those of you who haven't been worshiping with this congregation or may have missed a Sunday here or there, Here's what has happened in Luke over the past few months. Jesus' birth was announced. He was born and the shepherds visited. 
Jesus was presented to Simeon and Anna at the temple and was blessed. As a 12-year-old boy, Jesus stayed behind in the temple in Jerusalem after the celebration of the Passover. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Jesus preached in his hometown of Nazareth and was rejected and ran out of town. Simon Peter had a great catch of fish after Jesus encouraged him to drop his nets. Jesus told him that he would be a fisher of people. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. He called the 12 disciples. He healed a centurion's servant and raised a widow's son back to life. Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop. Jesus healed a demon-possessed boy. Jesus predicted his own death. And all of this happened before Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem in chapter 9, beginning what is known as the travel or journey narrative in Luke's gospel. Jesus's journey to Jerusalem and the cross. On this journey, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. He lamented over Jerusalem. He told the parables of the lost items, the sheep, the coin, and the prodigal son. He told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. He predicted his death again. He healed a blind beggar. He dined at Zacchaeus' house. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a colt to shouts of praise. He wept over Jerusalem. He celebrated the feast of Passover with his disciples. He was crucified and placed in a tomb. He rose from the dead. The angels told the women to go and tell the disciples that what Jesus had predicted was true. They did so, but the disciples struggled to believe. That is quite a journey. We've now had a whole week to bask in and celebrate the joy of the resurrection. We have four versions of the resurrection story to explore and piece together to create a more cohesive version for ourselves. However, I invite you in the next few minutes to forget that you've heard these stories before. Forget that you know the end of the story. Imagine that all you have are the stories that told about what was to happen, not what has already happened. Forget for a moment that you are a resurrection people. Put yourself in the shoes of today's travelers on the road to Emmaus. Today's passage, which in its entirety is unique to the Gospel of Luke, is another journey narrative. It is inserted between the resurrection story and Jesus' first appearance to the disciples. It takes place on the same day, the same day that the women went to the tomb and heard the message from the angels that all that Christ had predicted had come true. We join the two travelers, Cleopas and his unnamed companion, as they leave Jerusalem after quite an emotional few days. They had journeyed to Jerusalem and entered the city with hope surrounding the celebratory nature of Passover. That hope was quickly dashed when their friend, who they had hoped to be Israel's redeemer, was handed over and murdered on a political Roman cross. They stayed at a distance with their friends, waiting, watching, grieving, fearful. Then, they packed up their bags and hit the road for what would no doubt feel like the longest journey they had ever taken in their lives. 
And while they walked, they talked, they conversed, they exchanged thoughts, and from the Greek translation, tossed words around in exchange with each other. They had a heart to heart. Scripture doesn't say, but I imagine they threw around some phrases that we're apt to use in similar situations that feel hopeless to us. Why did I believe? Why did you let me believe? I knew it was too good to be true. I just thought, I can't believe that I was wrong. How could this have happened? What if, if only? This is an easy place to get stuck on the road. It is an easy cycle in which to fall. In fact, we could easily live a lifetime here if we'd allow ourselves questioning, grieving, hurting, longing, doubting, waiting for a bad situation to make sense to us. We don't know if Jesus just all of a sudden appears or if he was with them the whole time and they just didn't notice. I imagine they were just so caught up in their exchange of words that either way, this fellow traveler went unnoticed until he spoke to them. I imagine Jesus had been there the whole time, listening, waiting for an opportunity to be invited into the conversation. The fellow traveler asks a question. What words are you exchanging with each other? I imagine Cleopas shared a look instead of words with his travel companion at this moment. A look as if to say, really? Is he really asking us this right now? Is he really butting into this conversation? Cleopas responds, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? Jesus's response, I imagine, blows Cleopas's mind. Jesus asks, what things? I imagine Cleopas thought that there could be no one in Jerusalem who did not know what had been going on. At this point, Cleopas has a choice to make. He does not know the identity or affiliation of the stranger. It could be very dangerous to explain the political implications of the discussion he and his companion have been having about Jesus. But Cleopas chooses to explain to Jesus that which Jesus already knows. Cleopas could have brushed off Jesus, made something up, dismissed him. Instead, he chooses to engage in a conversation. And Cleopas explains it all to the stranger, and he knows his stuff, at least in his head. Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Check, that was true. Our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. Jesus had predicted that. His next sentence is utterly heartbreaking. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. What Cleopas was saying was, we had hoped, but we don't hope now. He had waited for this redeemer, only to have that hope dashed by the cruel Roman cross. How easily it seemed that he had given up on that hope, 
but how easy it was to do if you think about it. He explains that they had waited three days. He doesn't even explain what this means to the traveler. We know what that means, but remember we are in Cleopas's shoes. He had heard Jesus predict his resurrection, but how could he have really believed and understood it before it happened? Some women in our group were at the tomb this morning. Jesus's body was gone. They saw two men presumed to be angels telling them that Jesus was alive. The testimony of women didn't matter back then. It was foolishness, filling them with false hope. Some people in our group went to check it out for themselves. What the women said was true, but they didn't see Jesus. Seeing and not seeing is important in Luke. How Jesus perceived and saw people versus how everyone else perceived and saw them. And not just a physical seeing, but a spiritual seeing an inward spiritual perception of their true selves. Cleopas has just spilled his heart to this stranger. We had hoped that he would redeem Israel. He told us he was going to rise again, but we don't see him. Jesus listened intently to this whole exchange, waiting, not interjecting or interrupting. But when Cleopas finishes, Jesus says, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? I imagine if I had been Cleopas, I might have exchanged some not so kind words with this traveler at this point. Did you just call me foolish and slow of heart? Who are you? But one commentator I read might equate this to our phrase, you silly goose, or some other phrase that we use playfully to tease, not as an angry term of beratement or criticism. From the Greek, without thinking properly, not reasoning through with proper logic. And who can blame them? A direct relation to the trauma that they had just experienced and were now trying to process. Then this traveler holds a Bible study for the ages. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. We don't know which scriptures Jesus used, but from Cleopas's knowledge of scripture and his previous interaction with the stranger, I'm sure it was probably scripture that Cleopas and his traveling companion were familiar with and perhaps even knew by heart. In fact, their hearts were burning within them, but they still had to wait. I imagine this journey went by a lot faster than Cleopas had ever imagined. For who would have thought that he would meet someone on his journey who could explain the whole of scripture to him in such a thorough way? I'm sure Cleopas didn't want to interrupt this person, but Cleopas and his companion had reached Emmaus their destination. For custom, and I imagine at the thought of wanting to hear more from this man, they implored him to stay the night. As customary, they offered the man a meal. The man took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Wait a minute. Could it be? Is it? No, it can't be. 
Jesus! Their eyes were opened, and they recognized and saw him. Then he vanished from their sight. It's not in the explanation of scripture, although their hearts burned within them, but it was in Jesus's action, an action that they had witnessed many times, according to Luke's gospel, that they recognized him. They saw him for who he really was through the taking, blessing, breaking, and giving of the bread. They had to wait for God to reveal God's self to them. They had waited for three days, gone home with no hope, but now they had experienced their Easter. Their resurrection story was now complete. Jesus had come beside them and listened to their anxieties, fears, grief, and mourning. Jesus met them where they were and helped them figure out what was going on, where they needed to go, and how to get there from where they were. We, like Cleopas and his traveling companion, know the Easter story, but have we experienced, have we seen the resurrected Christ? Jesus did not just show up on the road and immediately identify himself. He waited. He let Cleopas tell his story without interruption. He told that story back to Cleopas, but in light of his own role in that story. Cleopas didn't recognize it right away. He had to wait for it. Imagine if he had not waited. What if he had brushed off the random traveler on the road? What if he had not invited him in? What if he had not shared a meal with him? He never would have experienced his Easter moment, his revelation that Christ really had risen from the dead. He would have missed the opportunity to fellowship with Christ. How often do we wait impatiently for Jesus to show up in the waiting places of our lives when perhaps all along Jesus is already there walking with us? waiting for us to acknowledge his presence. Jesus waits for us to share our story with him so that he can take our story, reframe it for us, and open our eyes to a new ending. And while we don't have to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit like the disciples, we do have to wait for the gift of the nudging of that spirit. And while we wait for it, that burning in our hearts, while we wait in what may feel like a most useless place, may we realize that these spaces are most often the most useful of all. For it is in our holy walking, waiting, sharing, listening, and communing with others that God has a chance to reveal God's self to us in new and amazing ways. God can and does take our lament our grief, our burdens, and our stories, and resurrect them into new life. It is worth the wait, my friends. Amen.